All right, so good morning again. We're so thankful that you're worshiping Jesus with us and so thankful that you're taking time to ask God what he would do in your life in the coming days. I want to encourage you this morning to never give up. I apologize for this. It's that last little part right there. There we go. Never give up. So say that with me, all right? Can you do it? Never? All right. We're waking up still, I realize. We're going to try again. Never give up. It's three words. It's not, there's nothing complicated about it. So one last time. Never give up. Oh, now I'm going to contradict myself and see if I can make any sense. So you're going to say, Brian, that makes no sense at all. You're totally contradicting yourself. What are you talking about? There are some things you should give up on. You know, like all of the chronic worry that runs through your brain when we're not really trusting the Lord. You know, like the pride in your life that, that enters in and causes you to rebel against God and run from God. Like all of the self-talk that says to you or might even come out of your mouth and say to others that God couldn't possibly love you, that you're not a child of God. I mean, wasn't that beautiful to sing this morning, to declare that truth? There's some things we should give up on, but there are in life some important pieces of being a believer in Jesus that we should never, ever, ever give up on. I don't know about you, but I find that most of us are growing weary at this stage of the pandemic. I would love to stand before you today and give you some kind of prophetic message where I told, where I told you that, you know, God had given a vision. It was all going to be gone like in three days, right? We would all stand up and cheer and, you know, woo, it would be great. But you would find in life more often than not, that God calls you to go through things and his grace gives you the ability to go through something, not just escape from something. I wish, I say I wish I had better news than that, but I do. I do because the gospel is better news. It just is and so if you find yourself at this point in the pandemic growing weary, sometimes we give up because we're just living in sheer exhaustion. Anybody physically tired at this stage? Anybody not physically tired at this stage? Sometimes we give up because, as it would say over in Hebrews 12, we lose heart. Sometimes it's not about physical exhaustion, it's about emotional, spiritual motivation. Certainly it's been a tough few months, really a tough 18 months. And the question I really want you to think about this morning is, am I growing weary and doing good? Because... Nine, ten months ago, I stood before us and told us 
that our memory verse for the year, that our theme verse for the year would come from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. This is it. Actually, I want you to read it out loud with me today. All right, ready, go. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. One more time. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Sometimes I think we give up because we're discouraged. You know what discouragement is, right? Discouragement is that feeling of being disheartened. It's lacking the courage, right? Hence, discourage. Lacking the courage to face the day. It's losing total motivation for something that might bring good to our lives. And sometimes we might give up just because we're disappointed. And of course, one can lead to the other. I think disappointment, right, where you have expectations and they go unmet, disappointment over time can lead to a much broader, deeper discouragement. Charles Stanley once said that disappointment is inevitable, but to become discouraged is a choice that I am making. And that really challenges my soul, if I'm honest, because I have felt a lot of discouragement over the last months. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. A question I guess I really want you to wrestle with this morning that I want your soul to really have to juggle with and struggle with and work through is what is the doing good that we're not to give up on? Because I began by contradicting myself, right? I told you to never give up. And then I told you there's some things you should give up on. But let's be honest, as you listen to the Lord, it wouldn't take long for the Lord to impress something in your heart worth giving up on. And what I would show you, really, as you study all of the Bible, is that when you give up the wrong things, you have more flexibility and more freedom and more energy and more availability for the right things. And I want God's best for my life, don't you? So what is the doing good exactly that we're talking about? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Sometimes we give up because we've run the length of the field and we still haven't reaped the benefit of the doing good. I was reminded this week, I I saw an old clip from a football game that took place in, I don't know, 2005 or so. I think it was the 2005 divisional championships for the the AFC. It, It was the Broncos versus that other team that always plays in the AFC championship. I can't remember their name. Um, they've got a quarterback that some people really like. What is his name? Tom somebody. <laughs> You might remember this, maybe, maybe not. Actually, I went and posted this clip this morning on the Harvest Facebook page so that you could be reminded of it later. I don't have time to show it to you now. But here's the basic idea. The Broncos were on defense. 
The Patriots were about to score. The Patriots had been struggling in this game. Patriots were about to score. Brady throws an interception to Champ Bailey, who's one of the fastest men in the league at the time, right? Cornerback, I think that's what he played for the Broncos. Bailey receives the ball in the end zone and proceeds to run the ball back from his end, from that end zone all the way back down the field. Like 106 yards, something like that. Bailey, one of the fastest men in the league, is run down all the way. So just picture it. Captures it in that end zone, interception, returns the ball, gets out of the end zone, runs all the way down the field, chased by almost everybody, right? Because when an interception happens, the, the defense goes, you know, tries to block and tries to do those kinds of things. And the offense chases too, right? Because they want to chase the person down. So the whole, like, the whole stadium, it feels like, is chasing Champ Bailey running down the field. He's one of the fastest men in the league. He's undoubtedly clears one last blocker, going to score a touchdown. And from out of nowhere, Benjamin Watson comes out of nowhere into the camera frame and at the one-yard line knocks Champ Bailey out at the one-yard line. Now, now, Patriots ended up losing the game. Broncos won the game. I might have been a little happy about that at the time. <laughs> and the Patriots fans had a lot of beef about how the play was called and the ball, should, the ball went more into the end zone and out of bounds and it should have been whose ball it should have been was all, was all up in the air. But Watson gave an interview later, and he talked about how he had a coach who just said, you know what, you just don't ever give up on a play, right? Right? Now, well, here's what's amazing about it. When Champ Bailey intercepted the ball, he was closest to this sideline. Benjamin Watson is a tight end. He was on the other side of the field, and chased down Champ Bailey from almost that sideline, coming diagonally across the field. And really what happened, if you think about it, is Benjamin Watson ran as fast as he's probably ever run in his life. And, you know, if, if Bailey ran 106 yards, Watson from the other side of the field ran 120 or 30. Just as fast as he could, but Bailey thought he was coasting, so he gave up one yard line. Have you seen those plays where players drop the ball, right? They make the big play, and they throw the ball over their shoulder at the one-yard line, and instead of six points, they, right? It, it's so, so easy to give up. Never give up on doing good. So what is the doing good that we're talking about? I want you to read the rest of Galatians 6 with me, because if we're really going to understand a verse like, Galatians 6.10, 6.9, right? Let us not become weary in doing good for the proper time will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I try to teach us this, the best way to understand what the Bible says and what the Bible means. If you read a verse and you go, what does that mean? Then you read what's around the verse, right? This is just good Bible study. You just want to know what it says before the verse, what it says after the verse, the context, the letter it's written in. All of that is going to fill you in on what we're talking about. So I want to back up to Galatians 6.1, and I want you to listen for the doing good. Brothers and sisters, Galatians 6.1, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person, he tells us how, gently. 
you who live by the Spirit. That's us. That's us believers in Jesus. That we're to be restorers of people who are caught by a sin, caught in a sin. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. And then he tells us, so I think restoration is a piece of this picture, if you really think about it. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Again, another picture, carrying burdens. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. It's a pretty good reminder. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. Now, I want you to be careful here about misreading a verse, taking it out of context. I don't believe that he's telling us to take pride in ourselves. He's really rather telling us not to compare ourselves with each other. Because what we want to do, if you think about it, is we want to look at somebody else and go, yeah, but I'm doing better than they are. I'm better than that person. I mean, I might not be good, but I'm better than that person over there. He said, no, 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 don't, don't play the comparison game. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Now, this is interesting, verse 5, for each one should carry their own load. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Verse 5, each one should carry their own load. Which is it? I'll explain as we go along. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. It almost feels like he's just randomly coming up with ideas now and just throwing them in. Because at this point, you're going like he's just like rapid fire throwing out these ideas and you're not sure where he's going with any of it. And I think there is a theme that ties it all together. And I'll give that to you when we finish reading this. Verse seven, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction, and whoever sows to please their spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Uh, Sowing is planting, right? And when I heard sow when I was a kid, I thought, you know, I was thinking home ec, right? Did anybody besides me in home ec, like sixth grade, have to sow something and it was the most god-awful looking thing? You, I think I made a walrus or something and it was blue and it, you know, it was, it, we had to get this material and we had to cut it out and it reminded me of those pattern things my mom had when I was a kid because she would sew a little bit when, you know, you make, cl- nobody makes clothes anymore, but they made clothes and I thought sewing this is not what this sowing is. This sowing is planting. We're thinking about, thinking about your garden. We're thinking about farming, right? It's when you sow and you reap. In fact, later in Galatians 6, 9, we're talking about a harvest, right? So clearly there's something about farming going on here. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, plants to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us do good to all people. What exactly is the doing good? I want to see if I can make this make sense. The Bible says that God over and over and over does good to you and I. And it's good that you and I 
absolutely, totally, 100% do not deserve. Jesus is active in our lives. The Spirit is active in our lives. The Spirit is drawing us to the Lord. The Spirit is providing all that we need. Jesus is working actively, moment by moment, to draw us closer to what God wants and mold and shape us and make us who God would have us to be. Of course, Jesus died for our sins, but he also lives inside of us to be our God and to fill us with what his spirit would call, what the Bible would call the fruit of his spirit, right? Love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness, There's all this good that God does in our lives, if you think about it. God's always doing good. In fact, I honestly think it would be contrary to God being God if God didn't do good. Right? That it, it, it is in God's nature to be good and do good. And if God is always doing good, and it's always a good I do not deserve, the Bible has a word for that good we don't deserve, doesn't it? it that word is grace. Like if we're just trying to put a practical definition on a biblical word, grace is good that God does, though we don't deserve. It's undeserved blessing. It's undeserved kindness. It's undeserved goodness. And what I think this is telling us, in fact, this sort of random collection of spitfire ideas that he throws out have a theme among them, and they all have to do with this good that God does that we don't deserve, this good we call grace. So I want to sum it up this way. Never give up on doing good means never give up on giving away grace. Never give up on giving away grace. Just don't. I mean, you might have run 99 yards and run the whole length of the field, and you don't see the fruit of that yet. Don't give up on giving away grace. You might be chasing down the guy from the other side of the field, and he's at the one-yard line, and you think, I've just exhausted myself. For what purpose? Never give up on giving away grace. Somehow in our mindset these days, as I listen to that all-knowing good place of of, uh, interesting conversation called social media, I find that the world really more and more and more wants to run on, but you don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. I'm not going to be kind to you because you don't deserve that. I'm not going to be good to you because you don't deserve that. Who, who deserves any good? Never give up on giving away grace. Let me run back through it. I'm going to give you five pictures of doing good. And I want to make this super practical. I think this will make more sense, this giving away grace, as we run through this. And it's really pictures of what we do in the body of Christ. It's pictures of what it means to be believers in Jesus The first is a picture of restoration. You remember back in that first verse, 
right? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, believers in Jesus, should restore that person gently. And so the picture here of restoration is to reach out and restore in grace. And there's probably some detail here in question about whether we're talking about reaching out to people who have never received Jesus and restoring them, seeing them made whole again so that they become believers in Jesus, or we're picturing someone who is running from God, who is a believer in Jesus, who's living in sin, for lack of a better way of saying it. They're caught, they're trapped by a sin, and, but they're a believer in Jesus, and we're working to restore them in that right relationship with Jesus, if you will. The point I would have you see is that I think this applies, in my mind, to all of the above, right? I have friends who need Jesus, so do you. We reach out to them and see God make them into all he intends them to be, and that all is an act of grace, isn't it? But at the same time, you and I, as believers in Jesus, if you are one, have all been in that moment or that spot in our life where we've not been good, where we've been on the run, where we've been pushing ourselves outside of what God would intend. Now I want you to put yourself in that position, actually of either of those two people. And I want you to picture that someone has reached out to you and said, hey, like, you know, come on back. Like, come be a part of the family. Come return to Jesus. Come be a part of the family. Be a part of what God would do. And that person who's fresh in their sin is sitting right here. You know why people don't return often? Because they're afraid of how we're going to treat them when they're sitting right here. You know that because you've been there, haven't you? You look into the sin in your own life, and we don't have to pretend that we're not the sinful ones. But you look into your current sin in your life, and you, you look over, and you, you know, every Sunday could be a Sunday of fear where we think about, is someone going to judge me? Is someone going to point out what's so wrong in my life? Is someone going to treat me? And what he's painting a picture of here is that we should be a people of grace so that the heart we have is this restoration that God would do. We should be excited when people are sitting here who are fresh in their sin. And if we're honest, we're all fresh in our sin. I mean, it's not like I look at my sin picture and go, there was that one time back in 1836 I am a sinner in need of restoration. And part of what we do in the church of Jesus is we restore those of us who are caught by a sin. He says, of course, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted, right? That there is a, a, a warning that comes along with this, a caution that comes along with this. And I think the question I would ask you, I, I guess, just to apply this is, who are you thinking of? I mean, yourself, yes. You were always in a place where 
as you're wrestling with sin in your life, that you're in need of some restoration with Jesus. But I don't mean to paint a picture that says that Jesus has rejected you. Because once we have received Jesus Christ, right, his forgiveness for our sins, that is taken care of for eternity. But at some practical level, there's a, there's a wrestling match always going on in our minds. And we need Jesus to win that wrestling match, if you will. He's won the battle. But we need that daily sense of things. And we need that daily sense of, of restoration. If you're sitting here and you're thinking like, what is the church going to think about me? What are people going to think about if they knew that I was a drug addict or if they knew that I had pride or they knew that adultery had been a part of my life or if they knew, right, that these aren't things that church people do. And so, so am I supposed to be, I'll go fix my life. And then after I fixed my life, then I'll come to church. I'm looking for that verse in the Bible that says, go fix your life, and then you can be restored. How long you got? We're going to be here a while. So this is, there's this picture of restoration. I, I just want you to know that when people come to church who act like sin and smell like sin, we should be the most excited people on the planet. Because someone had the boldness to say, I heard that there might be something about this guy named Jesus, and I'm so broken and messed up, and I need him. This is a picture of restoration, and I wonder who in your life, not just thinking about yourself, but who beyond you, God might put a name in your heart, somebody that you haven't seen in months, somebody you need to reach out to and just see where they are with Jesus and work towards restoration number two there's a picture of love a picture of love verse two said carry each other's burdens verse five said each one should carry their own load i want to clear up that again apparent contradiction but i want to read it again verse two carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of christ and the the law of christ is a law of love Right? Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so the picture here is really a picture of love as we're carrying each other's burdens. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. This is when we get prideful, when we get big heads. You know, I mean, this is when I think that I, you know, if I if I'm come to church and I, I'm like, you know, I'm the Tom Brady of Christianity. Right? Like I'm the goat. Or I'm LeBron James, like, you know, look at me, I'm great, right? I am, I am missing the point. If someone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. He is essentially saying that there's a standard of perfection, right? It's Jesus' perfection, essentially, and the comparison is not me versus you, and for me to stand before God and go, whoo! You know, I'm a pastor, so I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy because I'm a pastor. Like, no. That doesn't carry any weight. Brian, who are you? He reminds us, verse 5, 
Don't, verse 4, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Verse 5, each should carry their own load. But this is while we're carrying each other's burdens. So which is it? Do I carry my own load or do we carry each other's burdens? This really is a picture of love. And in this picture of love, he's telling us that we shoulder burdens with grace. That we shoulder burdens with grace. And he's telling me that on one hand, verse 5 says, I have to carry my part. But on the other hand, verse 2 says, I am to carry the burdens of other people. What's the distinction here? What makes this make sense? Pretty simple, actually. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And the idea of burden is a heavy, crushing weight, something that is, you know, you picture the proverbial like rock on your back that is way bigger than a person can bear carry each other's burdens. It takes a village. It takes a team, right? It takes a group. It takes a a set of people to come alongside of you. This is a picture of the body of Christ. We come alongside each other and we shoulder burdens together. Does that make sense? Verse five says, carry your own load. Uses a different word there. It doesn't say carry your own burden. It says, carry your own load. The word load there is a word for like a soldier's pack. These are the, the, the essentials that are a part of life that, that a soldier marching into battle would, would carry their own pack while together collectively carrying the load of the army. This means, among other things, that there is a responsibility in my life to do some self-care. Now, I don't mean to be selfish, but I do mean, all right, this is a pretty good example of the uh, the thing when you get on the airplane and they say, put your own mask on, right? If you have a drop in oxygen and all that and the masks fall out of the... I've never once had that experience. I mean, I've been on some pretty bumpy flights, but I've never seen like the, you know, the whole where the things drop and I'm thankful for that. But right, I'm, what I'm supposed to do is before I help somebody else with theirs, I'm supposed to have mine on because if I lose consciousness, I can't help the person next to me. I can't help my child if I lose my own consciousness. And as parents, we probably understand this shouldering burdens thing as an analogy more than anywhere else in life because we're constantly challenged with, but am I supposed to carry my own load or am I supposed to carry somebody else's burdens? Which is it? And the reality is that if if I can't even carry my own load, I can't carry somebody else's burdens. And I, in times in life, sometimes need someone to help me learn to carry my own load again. I believe the picture here is beautiful, and I believe it really is a picture of love. That in the body of Christ, the loving one another is supposed to extend to a place where we so care for one another that sometimes we look and literally people carried us, right? Again, going back to the foot, I'm just throwing out, like he was so spitfire in the way he was doing it, I'm just throwing out like random things. You go back to football, you have a player who goes down on the field, right? Maybe trying to run down the field and chase someone down. They go down and at times you see, right? Trainers and others go out on the field and they help carry the player off the field. You never really wanna see that have to happen But aren't you glad that there are people to carry you when you can't do it yourself? 
This is not an excuse to say, well, I just get to take care of me and ignore others all the time. Because that would violate the law of Christ that we're shouldering each other's burdens. This is why we talk so much at Harvest through the year and on and on about our groups, about our ministry teams, because there's so many ways to get in community and live beyond isolation so that we're shouldering each other's burdens pretty literally. It's why every single Sunday I ask you to fill out that communication card or that digital communication card and give us that sense of how we can pray for you because it's such a blessing to come alongside And if you're in a place where going into a new year, into a new school year, essentially, you need to think about having people in your life who help carry your burdens. I just want to encourage you to sign up for one of our groups or sign up to connect in some way. Tell us on your communication card or your digital communication card online to say, hey, I need some people in my life. Like, help me find my place. Help me find my place to connect. It might be with a men's group, might be with a couple's group, might be with a women's group. It might be in one of our ministry teams. It it may be any number of things, but help me find my place so that I can carry my own part, but I'm also helping others shoulder others' burdens. The church, the family are to be a picture of love. I believe that's what he's really telling us, verse three, or number three, rather. Not only a picture of restoration and a picture of love, but number three, a picture of generosity. Grace is a picture of generosity. There was this random verse that felt really out of place. Verse six, right? Verse five, each one should carry their own load. Verse six, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word, that's the recipient of the teaching, that's, that's us should share all good things. Notice the word good there, right? That, that word good runs through the whole passage. Should share all good things with their instructor. At some level, our instructor is Jesus. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that? Now, would we know anything about what we're supposed to do if we didn't have Jesus? Right? That God ultimately is our instructor, and yet he gives us in the body of Christ people with the gift of teaching who in turn teach us, instruct us in what it means to be godly people. And what he's saying here is that the one who receives instruction in the word, the recipient, should share all good things with their instructor. I've got to be honest, this verse makes me slightly uncomfortable. Because if you're really digging deep into what this is talking about, he's making an argument for why pastors and people who teach, who work in the church, who who are employed in the act of the gospel, why it's, for lack of a better way of saying it, okay to have your salary paid so that you are freed to focus on the work of the ministry. But that's a bit of an uncomfortable thing because it sounds like when I read it, I'm standing here and telling you, you should, you should pay me. You should pay me well. And I don't think that's the heart or the intent of this. But I think he is reminding us that there is a good we do when there is a generosity in the church that says we want the gospel to go further faster. And if the gospel is going to go further faster, then there's a shared generosity that happens. 
so that all of these things can happen, right? That it is generosity and therefore sharing resources out of grace, right? There's a picture of generosity, number three. We're sharing resources out of grace that allows for all of this other stuff to happen. Does this make some sense? Right? That when we're generous in the way we live as Christian believers, and there's that giving moment as an act of worship, and I realize we're not passing baskets these days because of the pandemic and those kinds of things, but, but when there's a giving moment in church, when, when we're prioritizing our giving and saying, hey, I want to take some of the resources that God has blessed my life with, the good God has done in my life, and I want to in turn share some of those resources for the sake of the gospel so that the gospel can go further faster, that there is a good that's happening in that. There is an act of grace that is happening in that. So I want to go just slightly further. And if I feel a little uncomfortable in reading this verse, you're going to feel a little uncomfortable with what I'm about to talk about. And I'm just going to acknowledge that. And if you're a guest today, I'm going to give you as a guest, just like tune me out for a minute and a half. But if you consider harvest your home, I want you to really tune in and just hear this. And we say all the time, like those of us that consider harvest our home, we gladly take on the financial position, the financial responsibility of the church. So if you pay attention to what gets put in the bulletin or what goes out in our newsletter, you'll notice that, that you know, periodically... Uh, we give, actually every week the financial info is there, but periodically you would notice that you get to the end of a month and it will say, hey, here's how much offerings came in and here's how much expenses we had. And I just want to be straight with you about those for a minute. When the pandemic began 18, 19 months ago, however long it's been now, Christians really leaned in, not just at part of Harvest, and I'm thankful we did, but across the country and really around the world, Christians wanted to make sure that the grace of their churches went on. And so there was this worldwide phenomenon where churches were just really pretty well resourced, for lack of a better way of saying it. The Christians were just giving faithfully to what happened. Last year, we had a in the middle of the beginning of a pandemic, what was almost a miraculous giving year in the sense of looking at funds and saying, hey, like things are really good. But as people tarry with the pandemic, as we get weary with what happens, what's natural, especially when the price of gas goes up, when the price of groceries goes up, when the price of your utility bill goes up, when the price of every single thing you purchase goes up. So you know, I mean, anybody else notice this? Right? Is that collectively around the world, churches see a shift in giving where giving begins to drop because expenses begin to go up. So if you pay attention to our financial numbers at all, and I've had a couple of people ask me about it, you would notice that over the last nine months or so, we run a pattern that's pretty consistent. And that pattern is that we spend about 10% more than we bring in. That our expenses, our budgeted expenses, we actually spend under our budget. And we're within our budget for the year, but our offerings are down about 10% from where they should be or where they typically are. And so here's what I want to challenge us to do. We've got three and a half months left in the year. Let's finish this year strong. 
This is actually a fairly normal pattern that we get into summer and giving tends to drop. And our giving's been okay through summer. But again, about every month, about a 10% deficit between offerings and expenses. And what I want to challenge us to do is to look inside our own soul and just say, hey, am I sharing resources out of grace? This is a shared burden, a shared responsibility. It's part of how we shoulder burdens with each other. It's part of how we help do restorations. Part of how we do evangelism in the community is the resources that come in allow myself and Julie and others, but not just salaries for us to actually have funds to do ministry with so we can reach out online, so that we can go to our partners at Monroe Middle School and give away grace, so that our homeless team can make their way across town to serve with the homeless in town, so that we can share with ministry partners, so churches can be planted in the Pacific Northwest and around the world, and people can understand the goodness of the gospel. All right, that was maybe two minutes instead of a minute and a half. If you tuned out just a minute ago, tune back in. That's our responsibility as believers in Jesus to, to, to say, hey, together, how are we doing it, shouldering the generosity piece of what the church does? And I just wanted to be honest with you about it. I have actual numbers if you want to see them, but I'm not going to take time to put them on the screen. Suffice it to say, we're, we're about, at this point, a month behind of our expenses are about $20,000 to be specific. We've spent $20,000 more this year than we have received. And I think we can close that gap between now and the end of the year. I honestly believe that. If we'll just live out that picture of generosity. Number four, I told you when we were reading through the text that there's another picture here, a picture of farming. Remember we were talking about sowing? And it's not this kind of sowing, right? It's, it's, it's dig in the ground and plant a seed kind of sowing. So I, I know at least a couple of you have gardens. Is this true? Anybody have gardens? All right, so more than a couple. And I know that uh, some of you have gardens that are bigger, so we could almost call those gardens farms, right? <sighs> right? I mean, right? What some of us do for fun with a little garden in the backyard, some of us do for, uh, like, you know, it's like employment, right? And if, if you're a farmer, you know well the principles of sowing and reaping. And actually, if you're a farmer, what you really know is that, that farming is almost miraculous in and of itself because farming has a dependency on resources you absolutely cannot control. If you're a farmer, you know what I'm talking about. You cannot control the weather. There are pieces you can control. You can control how much you plant. You can control when you plant. You can control what you plant. And to a degree, you can control condition of the soil. There are things you can do with the soil to let it rest. There are things you can do with the soil to keep it renewed and restored. But, but as a farmer, you plant. And often, in the miraculous sort of nature of farming, you plant and what you reap is more than you sow. Almost to the point where at times it doesn't make sense. That's a picture of grace. And the picture of farming here as a picture of grace is this idea that you and I should plant as many seeds of grace as we can. 
that we're going to plant seeds of grace in ourselves. We're going to plant seeds of grace in those around us. We're going to plant seeds of grace in our spiritual community, the church. We're going to plant seeds of grace in the world and what we do that, in fact, as we live out our mission of loving God and loving people and loving the world the way Jesus loves the world, that all of those are seeds of grace that we're planting. And if we're not going to give up on doing good, certainly a piece of the doing good that we do has to do with planting these seeds of grace. Verse 7 said, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This is a bit of the Bible's way of saying, and it's taught in other places, right, that you get what's coming to you. Except, except the principle of grace is you don't get what's coming to you. So in essence, God is acknowledging that in the world there is a principle that exists where you reap what you sow, right? And so if you sow hate, you're going to reap hate. Hey, I've already offended us a little bit. I might as well just go the full way. Why not? I don't go chasing any one individual's like social media posts. So don't anybody take this personally. Is that fair? I don't monitor your social media posts. I'm just friends with a bunch of you. But it's not like I go looking for stuff. One of the most discouraging things about the pandemic for me has been not just us, but to watch Christians worldwide show so much disregard for the suffering of other people. Or so much hatred for people who disagree with them. Like, how is hatred on social media ever going to make someone say, I want more of that? Because I think, frankly, that if you go on social media, it's pretty interesting and obvious that hate is just out there. And there's a lot of it out there. And if we want to stand in contrast to what happens in the world, we're going to have to be different than the world. And one of the most beautiful things of shouldering burdens and grace, as we talked about just a moment ago, is when in the Christian community, you find people who disagree with each other on substantial issues in life, but they are united around the gospel of Jesus. And one of the best pictures of health in a church is when a church can say, you vote different than me, or you look different than me, or you act different than me, but I'm going to love you with the love of Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not chasing any one individual, but I've just been so discouraged at times by the Christian community at large because social media, if I were reading it from an outsider, would make me think, why do I want any of that? Am I wrong? So let's be of people who sow love, who sow grace, who sow kindness, who sow patience. That when we're planting, we're planting these seeds of grace that would reap what God would want to reap. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to, sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let's sow to please the Spirit. What pleases the Spirit? The life of the Spirit. Again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't have to go much further back to find that. Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit 
It's love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For me, this picture of farming is this picture of grace because I think of how many times in my life I have sowed the wrong thing, and yet what God has done has caused me to reap the right thing. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, but I'm not perfect. And sometimes I've sowed good, but I've done it with wrong motives. And sometimes I've sowed bad. And yet I can look at my life and like that rain yesterday, I can just breathe in deeply this sense that God's grace has been overwhelmingly cleansing for my life that all of the stuff in my life that shouldn't be there has just been washed out and washed away, and I can just breathe in the goodness of God in my life because of his grace. And what I'm saying is that you and I aren't just recipients, but we're sowers that we receive in order to give away. Does that make sense? That's the idea of grace. And that's why we restore others in grace. And that's why we carry burdens in grace. And that's why we share generosity in grace. And it's why we plant more seeds of grace, which just leads to this fifth picture, this picture of perseverance, that we learn to wait with expectation as we keep on giving away grace, that we learn to wait with expectation. This is actually an extension of the farming metaphor. So again, all of you who are gardeners or farmers, I would ask you, when you plant the seed, how long till you get to eat the fruit? Long time. So imagine the farmer who plants the seed, plows the field, plants all the seed, makes their way out into the field, and like three weeks in says, this was worthless. Like, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to sell the property. I'm just going to mow over the fields. Like, that wouldn't make no sense, right? Why? Because, because we're waiting. And what are we waiting on? We're waiting on this sort of miraculous thing that happens out of sight where the seed takes root and with water and all that goes into that, it takes root. And then the plant begins to sprout up. And even when you see the little sprouts grow up or the little trees begin, little bushes, whatever it is, begin to come up, it, at that point, they're, they're not bearing fruit yet. And in some cases, you've got to go multiple seasons to really begin to bear fruit in the right kind of way. The bottom line is there's a lot of perseverance and a lot of patience that happens in the world of farming. But what happens in the world of farming is that you're always expecting something. What causes you to not give up is the expectation that between the sowing and the reaping that something happens in the meantime. And as Christians, what we're expecting to happen in the meantime is for Jesus to show up. For Jesus to work. And so we learn to wait with expectation that Jesus is working. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. All means All people. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good too. What if they don't vote like me? What if they don't believe like me? What if they what if they disagree with me on masks or vaccines or the pandemic or 
just keep doing good. We just keep doing the right thing. We just keep giving away grace. We just keep doing what we know to to do. Of course, he ends with especially those who belong to the family of believers. That we don't neglect the family of believers in order to do good in the world, but we do good to all people while carrying each other's burdens in the body of believers. Does this make sense? So he's telling us that we might be people who've run down the field as fast as we could, and we might be as exhausted as we've ever been in our lives, and we're not sure it's going to do any good, and we've gone 99 yards, and we're still waiting to see if any harvest is going to happen, and he's just simply telling us, never, never, never give up. All right, I've been a little long today. I apologize for that. I just thought this was a substantial text for us to really think about at this stage of the journey. As I end, I want to end today with our two prayers. And so if you need to be prayed for today, I don't want to just pray for you. I want to pray with you. Is that fair? We always end our services with two prayers. The first, a prayer of salvation. The second, a prayer of application or of discipleship. If you need Jesus today, we would invite you to receive Jesus today. It's as simple as this. He came, he died on the cross for our sins. They put him in a borrowed grave. The world said good riddance to him. And on the third day, defeating all of it, he came back to life. Of course, the defeat happening on that cross where he was crucified. And all you've got to do to become a believer in Jesus is just to admit that you need him. To ask him to be your God. Turn to him. Pray like this. You can pray with me. Dear Jesus, please forgive my sin and please take over my life and please be my God. Please fill me with you, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your grace and help me to give it away every day. In Jesus' name. When we pray like that, heaven rejoices, celebrates. I mean, like bigger than any Super Bowl party. Heaven celebrates. And we do too. And so if you prayed with me online today or you prayed in person today, would you let us know? You can tell me on a communication card. You can let me know in person. You can tell somebody you came with. You can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. Man, if you prayed that, let somebody know. If you prayed that a long time ago in your life, and yet you need, you need this sense of perseverance, of not giving up, and you need God to be at work in you today. Maybe you would pray along with me. Would you pray like this? Again, second prayer, our prayer of application and discipleship. I hope we're all praying this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you never give up on me. And so help me, Jesus, to never give up on you. And help me to never give up on others. But please continue to strengthen me so that I can give away grace. Help me to reach out and restore when friends are running from you. And if I'm running, I pray that you would restore me gently, Jesus. 
Strengthen me so that I can shoulder burdens in love. Jesus put resources in my hand so that I can share those resources with your kingdom. Flood my heart with grace so that everywhere I go, I'm just planting seeds of your grace. Carry me, Jesus, so that I can persevere in doing good. So that I can persevere in giving away grace. Jesus, I pray this with all my friends, thankful that your grace sees us through. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I so love you guys. I so love you guys. Enough to tell us the truth. So today, the truth is God's grace is beyond good. As we go today, I want us to go in that goodness. I want us to go in his grace. I want us to go knowing that that we wait in between what's been planted and what will be harvested. I want you to go looking for Jesus to work in his grace. You go with that? All right, let's go in his grace today. As we go, please remember on the way out is the basket for the communication cards and uh, the box for our offerings as well. So thank you for worshiping Jesus with us today. I'll be outside in just a moment. If I can serve you in some way, you let me know. Love you guys.